On this episode, we talk with Elizabeth Segrin, writer at Fast Company. She wrote about the disconnect between what shoppers want and what retailers think that shoppers want. Also, the mistake some retailers make of delivering style over substance. You're listening to Where We Buy. It's the show about the things we buy and the places we buy them. My name is James Cook. I research retail and real estate for JLL. This is the show where we talk with retail experts and visit shopping spots across the nation. I remember back in 2015 when the Henna Hotel in Japan first came on my radar. It was uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal about this new hotel that was run by robots. So there was a robot dinosaur, a velociraptor, working the front desk. And there were these automated trolleys. They were robot porters that would take your luggage to your room for you. And they had in-room AI assistants that were available 24-7 to help you with any questions that you might have. Then came the news this January that the Henna Hotel had fired all of its robots. Apparently, they didn't work out so well. The dinosaur robots had to be overseen by humans because they couldn't handle the paperwork on their own. And that robot porter couldn't get to most of the rooms and would not work outside in the rain or snow. And the in-room AI assistant wasn't answering the guests' questions correctly, and it would wake people up in the middle of the night when it heard their snores and thought they were talking to it. At this point, according to news reports, all jobs at the Henna Hotel have been replaced by humans. In this case, robots were not ready for prime time. My guest today, Elizabeth Segrin, is a staff writer at Fast Company, and she would say people don't want robots in their lives nearly as much as corporate executives seem to think they do. She wrote about a recent Oracle consumer study that revealed just how big this disconnect is. 98%, so nearly all retail executives, think that artificial intelligence and virtual reality will increase foot traffic at retail stores. Meanwhile, 48% of consumers, about half, think that AI and VR will have zero impact on how likely they would be to go to a store. So I had to ask Elizabeth where she thinks that disconnect is coming from. Fast company um, is a very tech-forward magazine, um, so we often we often see you know wacky new technologies that have just um, you know entered the marketplace. And what's really funny is that you know these retailers get so excited about them, um, and as reporters sort of see these um, these trends come and then sort of disappear, um, we sort of like are a little bit more skeptical. Sometimes we even roll our eyes. Um, so we, it was just kind of funny to see how excited um, retail executives seem to be about these technologies, at least based on um, the survey that, that came through in this report. 
Yeah, I mean, if you go to like NRF or another retail conference, it's all about highlighting the new technology, the new gimmick that's going to change everything. Why did why does everybody get so excited? Is it just because it's shiny and new? Consumers have lost their excitement about going to the mall, basically. Um, and retailers haven't figured out why exactly. And so when they, when they see a new technology, their first thought is, oh, this is great. This is going to get consumers back into the door. But I don't think that that really gets to the heart of why consumers stopped showing up in the first place. Um, from what we, we've seen, so what I've seen in my reporting um, and my understanding of the retail models that seem to be working right now, consumers aren't excited about going into a store because of technology. They get tons of technology at, their, at home, you know, in, in, in their phones. Um, technology isn't a huge draw for them. Um, what, what is a draw, though, is everything that is unrelated to technology. They want, they, they go to, to, to retail stores because they're looking for a human experience. They want, um, you know, they want somebody who can talk to them about the product. They want to be in a place that feels nice and welcoming um, and different from their home. They want something that, um, you know, they want an experience that is, that is exciting and three-dimensional, something that you can't get on a flat screen. Um, they want to feel pampered. They want, a, you know, a luxurious experience. None of this really has to do with, you know, shiny new technology. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about my own shopping habits, I go to stores to escape technology. Like, if I want to buy glasses from a computer, you know, I can do that through Warby Parker, but I'm much more interested in going to the Warby Parker store and interacting with a human uh, who's going to actually, you know, fit it for me and, you know, test my eyes and all that stuff. I I mean, just just as a caveat, I, I think that there are a lot of brands that have figured out that experience is what consumers want. They want to have a thrilling, you know, luxurious, wonderful experience in the store. Um, we have seen that get taken a little bit far um, sometimes as well. Um, so there have been cases where, you know, brands kind of go over the top um, and create these kind of like funhouse type experiences. So, you know, there, there are brands that will do these pop-ups where, there are tons of um, Instagrammable things and, and Instagrammable walls so that people will take lots of selfies. Um, there are flower walls were like a big thing for a while. People, you know, companies would have these entire walls that were covered in flowers, which looked very interesting and fun, but became a little bit cliche after a while. Um, there, you know, there are all of these kind of like over the top experiences that brands were doing. Um, and I think that consumers don't really want that either. I think they just, they, it's very, actually very simple what they want. They just want to be able to go to a store, look at the product, you know, in a very um, relaxed and beautiful environment. They want to be able to just talk to someone who will answer their questions intelligently. And they're not looking to go to a carnival. They just want to go to a store where they're treated like a human. I noticed you wrote another article that was, uh, what was it called? Uh, Four Retail Trends That Need to Die <laughs> in 2019. And you number one is the Instagrammable pop-up. Now, you're, uh, you're based in the coast. I'm a, I'm a Midwesterner myself. And, and 
we haven't reached peak uh, Instagrammable pop up here in the in the middle of the country yet, but uh, you know, definitely in LA and, and New York and Boston, where there's a new uh, Instagrammable something or other that opens up every weekend, I could I could see why you would feel kind of overwhelmed by that. Do you think you'd be into it if you if there was a store that was just very visual and you know there wasn't a lot there, but what whatever was there was like good in a photo? So. Um, <laughs> so I've been, as part of my job, I go to a lot of places like that. So I was recently at, um, Candytopia and I was recently at the Winky Lux experience in Soho in New York. Um, and I am not the target audience, Elizabeth, um, but I get their appeal. I see other people there, like, like Winky Lux, for example, you know, um, the their main customer is i you know the the teen and and young 20 something uh cosmetics consumer and uh you know i could see somebody like that getting really excited about having a brand experience for me the instagrammable store seems very gimmicky there there just wasn't a lot underneath that experience um you know there there wasn't some sort of like deeper thing that you were learning or um or, or you weren't really getting to know a product very well. I mean, there just wasn't something underneath that. Um, I think that ultimately the best experiences going forward are going to be ones that have a little bit of that focus on creating a, you know, an enjoyable original experience for the consumer, but uh, that also has some meaning behind it. Um, and so one example that I thought was pretty good is, so Canada Goose, the, um, the, the luxury um, coat manufacturer from Canada, um, they started building these, uh, they're called cold rooms. So they're basically these ice boxes in the middle of their stores. Um, and they're pretty fun. You know, they're, they're, they're extremely cold. You know, they, they replicate the weather in the, Ar- in the Arctic, basically. Um, and, and, you know, and when these things first open, there are just kind of lines around the block uh, for people to go in and check it out because it's, it's, you know, it's like it's fun to try on one of the heavy duty Canada goose jackets and then just kind of see how they fare in that environment with your friends and take lots of pictures of it, of course. Um, but what's cool about that is that, you know, once the enthusiasm dies out, if it does die out, um, it's still a very practical thing to have in a store, especially, you know, if you're ha- if you have a retail store that's all year round, you know, people are coming in in the middle of winter, you know, it, it serves a purpose to be able to try on those jackets and those jackets are expensive. So I think, I think even for like the average consumer, you know, you're not often wearing a jacket in an environment where you're really testing it. So I think that if you're going to drop a thousand dollars on a jacket, you know, that's a very valuable thing to do. So my hope is that going forward, we're going to see these things where, you know, you're actually doing something valuable for the customer and giving them, you know, giving something valuable in exchange for their time. Um, But also, you know, it it doesn't have to not be fun, right? Yeah, great point. So it's cool if it's Instagrammable or if it's, it's gimmicky or... Ah, gimmicky is not the right word. It's cool if it's fun and unique, but it's also got to have some substance to it. I think of, uh, I think of the Starbucks roastery, you know, which is like been described as a Willy Wonka of coffee, but 
it's not a gimmick. Like, it's super fun. Like, you learn a lot about roasting coffee. You get to drink a lot of coffee and eat food and see stuff. So it's, it's more of like a museum experience, I guess. Is there any other technology you can think of that's not gimmicky that actually adds value to the in-store uh, shopper? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, any technology that isn't really flashy, but that actually uses the transactional experience is really valuable. So one example that I have is Everlane. So when Everlane went into brick and mortar last year, they they basically uh, devised their own and developed their own um, point of sale system. And it connects all of the online information that they have about various customers, um, that their existing customers, with the in-store experience. So in in the future, basically what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to go to the store, um, have them check your ID um, and your credit card information, um, and then make these, these these sort of instant purchases from there on out. So, so at, you know, at some point, you'll be able to just go into Everlane and not have to take out your credit card to pay for whatever it is that you're buying or returning or whatever. Um, and so, I, you know, that's a little tiny thing that the customer probably doesn't even, you know, think about or notice. Um, it's not obvious to them, but, you know, it does save them time. It saves them from digging through their wallet for their credit card. It's, it's a little step that shows what the brand is really trying to elevate the experience. I think things like that are actually quite valuable. You wrote a, a bit about um, robots and artificial intelligence and and how um, uninviting as a consumer that is. Are there any, can you think of any good examples I'm just trying to think of like a, a chatbot or any robot that really was a good uh, retail experience. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything either. And also, you know, in the funny bit that I talked about at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the article, I mean, we have robots at home now. I mean, I think the, the most relevant robots we have in our lives are our personal assistants at home. And in my home, uh, you know, even though I kind of, um, I'm not so tech, uh, I'm, I'm not so obsessed with technology. My husband is very interested in these technologies. And so we, we have, um, you know, we have Amazon Alexa, we have a HomePod. And so, you know, my husband and my daughter are constantly talking to, you know, things around the house that are not me. Um, and, and, you know, having these very stunted conversations often because like the machine doesn't really understand what they're saying or not getting the song right or whatever. Um, so I, I think we have, we have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of robots in our life right now. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, you know, they're still in their infancy, so they're not really always working 100% right all the time. They're still learning. Um, so I, I just, I, I think a lot of consumers have these devices in their home. So I think that when you're, they're going to a store, it's just so refreshing to have a person that you can talk to who, like, understands English and, you know, you don't have to repeat the commands multiple times. You don't have to, you know, who who may realize that, you know, it's a hot day and you might want a bottle of water, you know, things like that, right? Like, I think you just want to get away from your robot. Yeah, I totally hear you, man. Between, you know, I've got like three different competing digital assistants in my home right now and, and none of them get it right, you know? Totally. 
One other thing I was interested in from this Oracle study was this huge disconnect around interactions with um, with um, store associates. Yeah, I mean, I think that the yeah, so I think the the implication I think as a consumer reading that question in a survey was, you know, do you want these people in stores to be coming up to you and asking you how you're doing or if you want to see something? And I think all consumers have been to stores and experienced that and, and felt uncomfortable, right? Because I think there you kind of feel like there's pressure on you to make a purchase or, you know, and, and, and you know, 10 years ago, a lot of people in stores were making money on commission. And so there was this kind of aggressive way that their questions were not really about you, but about trying to make a sale. Um, and so I don't think anybody wants that. I do think, though, that, you know, these people serve a very valuable purpose in a consumer's life because there are these, there are these repositories of information and insight about the product. Um, and so I think, I think having these people there is very valuable and like having people who are well-trained and who have really good customer service is really valuable. I just think that the, that experience needs to be something that a consumer feels like they're in control of. So I think that when they're going into a store, they want to be able to be in charge of, you know, whether or not they ask for help. Um, and certainly, you know, like, I just think of my husband and I, we're very different. Like, I actually enjoy the interaction with the person. I like making small talk. I like, um, you know, I like figuring out a lot of information about the, about the product. My husband's much more introverted. He would rather just, like, figure it out for himself you know, go to the store to feel the product in person and then bring it home. And if it doesn't work, then he'll go back and exchange it or something like that. Yeah. Talk about a way where humans are so much better than robots. Like it, I think about myself, sometimes I'm in a store and my body language is saying I'm cool. I don't need help. And other times I look confused and I look lost. And, you know, that's when the associate knows to come over and ask me, you know, if I need help. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really interesting. Do you, um, I guess if folks are interested, they can check out your work at Fast Company. Do you have um, like a social media or website that you want to share? Yeah, yeah. So if you are looking for me on Twitter, I'm at Liz Segrin, and my last name is spelled S-E-G-R-A-N. Um, and then you can also find me on my website, which is elizabethsegrin.com. Awesome. And we'll put links to those in the show notes for the episode as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Elizabeth is not a Luddite. She's not against all new technologies. She's just skeptical. New technology has to solve some problem. There has to be a need for it. If not, it's just bells and whistles that you don't really need. What's your take on all this? I'd love to hear what you think about technology when it comes to in-store experience. You can leave a message for us on the Where We Buy hotline, and we'll play it on an upcoming show. Give us a call at 602-633-4061. Tell us your name and where you're calling from. The episode today was the result of an email from Isaac Pretter. Isaac and I had met in person in New York, and then later he sent me a note. He wrote, I discovered this author, Elizabeth Segrin, who has interesting ideas about retail. Bam, that's it. That's how it's done, people. 
If you've got a cool show idea, I am only an email away. My address is in the show notes. I love meeting with listeners in person. I just did it last week at a conference in Whistler. I've got two events coming up on the calendar so far. One is the ICSC Southern California Idea Exchange. That's on February 27 in Anaheim. And then the Food for Thought Conference, which is April 16 through 18 in New Orleans. Coming up, we've got an interview with CEO and founder of 2-Bit Circus, Brent Bushnell. We're also going to include an audio tour of our visit to this micro-amusement park. They've got plans to open up more locations across the United States. Brent is the son of the founder of Chuck E. Cheese and Atari, which I think makes a whole lot of sense when you visit 2-Bit. There's a lot of technology and whimsy and all kinds of cool stuff. So don't miss it. Subscribe to Where We Buy on the iPhone podcast app, on Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. I realize that a lot of retail uh, can best be experienced through your eyes. So we're now posting some videos online to uh, complement our podcasts. So an upcoming video we've got scheduled is a visit to the Indigo Bookstore flagship in Vancouver. And uh, we've recently released a video about um, the uh, Legacy West Food Hall in Plano, Texas, and uh, uh, talk with David Sheldon in Whistler, British Columbia, about health and wellness in retail. You can see all of our videos by following me on LinkedIn. Just go to LinkedIn and search for James Cook JLL and hit follow. Few shout outs today. First to Gabe Gonzalez. Gabe, thank you for listening and commenting on LinkedIn and Instagram. Also, Gabe's uh, brother by another mother, Eddie Gonzalez, uh, no relation, at least I don't think so. Um, Eddie, thanks for your many positive comments and uh, your video making advice and uh, for being a consistent uh, presence on social media. Also, thanks to David Sheldon um, for joining in on our latest video from Whistler Village. And uh, thanks to Tina Liu at Quadrial, who I met uh, at the Whistler uh, ICSC Western Canada Conference. Tina, thanks for listening to the podcast. Our theme music is Run in the Night by the Good Laws under Creative Commons license.